raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. Sam Farber, voice of the Hornets, going to be hopping on with us at 120. Also, it's been a while, but we're going to bring back Fiddy's favorites, five sporting events he wishes he could have seen in person. If you want to text us via the Garage Door Guru text line, you can do so, 704-570-9610. What sporting event would you like to have seen in person? And it doesn't matter if you were alive for it or not. You can go all the way back to the 60s if you want to, the Mm. 70s, whatever, if you weren't alive back then, but you want to have put out that type of sporting event, feel free to do so. That is more than fine with me. We're also going to play some matchmaker with some of these ACC QBs later on in the show. Who would make a great match for DJU? What about Devin Leary, Brennan Armstrong? We're going to try to pick some college football programs that would best suit some of those ACC quarterbacks that are moving on from the program they played for last year. I want to discuss the Carolina Panthers and specifically Scott Fitter. I feel like we don't talk about him as much right now. Plenty of other storylines to get to for sure. But Scott Fitterer still has a huge role with this team. He still is the guy now that is the person who decides how this roster makeup will go going into the offseason, going into next year. And I'm also interested in just how much say he has and who's going to be the head coach for this team next season. Because when David Tepper spoke to media, David Tepper really wouldn't answer the question clearly. And when he spoke to media, there was really nothing he did that was extremely clear, right? He said that would be a better question for Scott. You know, what what, what do you expect from this? Oh, that'd be a better question for the general manager of the Panthers. But we all know that David Tepper gets to do whatever he wants to as the owner of this franchise. I think if Steve Wilkes is going to be the head coach of this team, Mm -hmm. I think that probably comes down to David Tepper more so. I think Tepper is going to say he's done a good enough job. We're going to roll with the interim head coach that is Steve Wilkes because he's done more with this franchise than Matt Rule did. And I do see the foundation that has been built. Quarterback, maybe some depth pieces. Then we can contend for a playoff spot for years to come. That's what we need to fix. The head coach is not the problem as it stands now. It was. We got rid of it with Matt Rule. Steve Wilkes is not the problem anymore. I think if they decide, I think if Tepper decides to move on from Steve Wilkes, then I think Scott Fitter will have a big say and a lot of responsibility for who that next head coach is. How do you think the responsibility is divvied up on the pie chart, Wes, when deciding who the next head coach will be? Um, I think it's definitely the owner's going to have the most say because it's his franchise. So I think he's going to get the largest piece. I would probably go maybe 60% for him. And then I'd say, you know, Fitterer would probably come in right behind that with the rest of it um, because I was going to beg the question, would he – even entertain the thought of cleaning house and getting rid of him as well. But yeah. if he stays, um, as far as just them doing it, I think the owner is going to have the largest say because, again, it's it's his franchise. Well, that's the other question. I think Scott Fitterer sticks around with this team. I don't think David Tepper wants to admit another failure, which is what he would do if he let go of Scott Fitterer. Because you already admitted that. After giving Matt Rule that kind of contract – and then firing him, 
just a handful of games into Matt Rule's third season, you admitted failure, which is good, by the way. Yeah. I'm not here to criticize David Tepper. I thought he should have made that move really at the end of Matt Rule's second season. There was no improvement. I thought that was good enough to move on and go in a different direction, but he didn't. And then he decided to do so anyway after a handful of games in a Matt Rule's third year. I don't think he wants to do that with Scott Fitterer. And I like some of the things I've heard about Fitterer. I, I like the philosophy. I like taking chances. I like everybody being in play, at least monitoring the trade market. It doesn't mean you pull the trigger on every single trade. They've made some bad ones, and Scott Fitterer deserves some responsibility for that. But overall, I kind of like the idea of what Fitterer brings to this team, trying to trying to improve the amount of bites at the apple in the NFL draft. I like having more picks because it's such an imperfect process. Let's throw a few more darts at the dartboard yeah. and maybe hit bullseye in a couple of them. I like that idea, and that's what Scott Fitterer brings. I don't think he's going to fire him. Do you think Scott Fitterer sticks around at the end of the season? Uh, I think, like you said, they don't want to admit another failure. I think he gives them another chance. Uh, he's made some pretty decent draft picks here, you know, like any GM worth their salt would. So I think he's going to give him at least one more year to kind of see it through. Well, in common sense, it would tell you if you are going to fire Scott Fitterer, then you need to do so before the NFL draft. So whatever GM comes in, they can come in, evaluate the players in the draft and then pick whoever they want. But there have actually been a few NFL franchises that have fired the GM after the draft. I believe the Jets were one of those teams that yeah. did that. I, I, I th Maybe the Titans a, a while back. Maybe that's not true. There, there are a couple of other teams that did so, and it was always weird. It's not a recipe for success. So I hope that David Tepper doesn't take that blueprint and apply it here if he does decide that he wants Scott Fitterer gone from this organization. Ultimately, it goes down to something I already mentioned in this show. If he is allowed to be in charge of the NFL draft, ultimately it's going to come down to whatever quarterback he picks. Mm -hmm. And I think if you look at the top three quarterbacks available, according to ESPN analysts, not Wes Bryant, not Fitty Marlowe, not me, but the top QBs available in this draft, most of them agree when you're talking about Jordan Reed, Todd McShay, Mel Kuyper. Bryce Young is number one, despite the size. C.J. Stroud, number two. And I think the tools of Will Levis have those guys putting him as the third best quarterback prospect in the NFL draft. If I were to ask you, let's say that you guys just were hired to replace Mel Kuyper. He's deciding that he is going to retire and eat all the pumpkin pie, whipped cream, all the weird <laughs> stuff that he eats. He's yeah. done now, right? He's just going to enjoy the pumpkin pie. And you are the new NFL draft analyst. How would you rank your top three QBs coming out in this class? Um, I would go the same. Uh, I like Bryce Young. I've been a big fan of his since he came out of high school. I think he has all of the things you want. Um, Size-wise, okay, but we've seen a lot of smaller quarterbacks work in this league. Could he get hurt? Of course, but there's big quarterbacks to get hurt. Uh, C.J. Stroud, I like, I like his arm strength. I like what he brings to the table. I like his demeanor. I think he would be a pro's pro, so I think that whatever flaws that he has at the moment, I think he'll work through those. Levis, I do not like, but if I have to rank these guys one, two, three, he would be my three. Well, what about, I mean, you can bring in Hooker if you want to. Would you put Hooker number three? Yes, I would put him in Hooker number three. What about you, Fitty? I know you've always been a huge fan of Bryce Young. You would still have him number one despite some of the size concerns that people have within the NFL. Yeah, now for me, it'd be Bryce Young one. There's a gap for me between Young to Stroud at two. And then three... 
Yeah, Levis is not in your top three. No, hell no. (laughs) Hendon Hooker really sold me with the way he played against Alabama, but his age and his health is going to come into factor. If Anthony Richardson tests well, you you could convince me that he has all the attributes in the trades to be a difference maker at the position at the NFL level. But there is bad film of him that that, that does exist that you'll have to look at and, and wonder, is this more who he is or in an NFL system with better coaching, better supporting cast around him, can he be a dynamic player at the quarterback position? Well, if Levis is the third quarterback to a lot of people, not you guys, and I know – Quite a few people in this building don't exactly love Will Levis coming to the Carolina Panthers. But we have been pounding the table for Carolina to draft a quarterback in the first round. Let's say that Carolina wins a couple of these other games, the last five that they have on the season. And they finish with six wins. And they're drafting six, seven, eight, something like that, not top five. And then you have C.J. Stroud, Bryce Young off of the table. Will Levis is the top quarterback available. At that point, it sounds like you guys are willing to go away from that position and drafting BPA, no matter the position they play, wide receiver, defensive line, offensive line doesn't matter. That's the direction you're going, Wes, if C.J. Stroud and Bryce Young are off the table, you're picking six, seven, eight. Well, there's a fourth quarterback in the mix uh, that I'm seeing, Tanner McKee from Stanford. I'm not that up to date on him, which I, I will get up to date on him. So, you know, maybe he's a guy we need to look into him further, but just to stay in the moment of where we are right now. uh, Yeah. If if Will Levis is my option, I'm going to look elsewhere. Well, that, and maybe some of these other guys are climbing the ladder. I mean, we've seen that quite a bit, but if it, if it holds true now, then that possibility gets bigger and bigger. And I didn't think there was really a shot that Carolina would draft anything other than a QB in the first round. But, I mean, and and maybe Carolina goes after Will Levis. We heard the promo from Mac and Bone quite a bit, right? That there are rumors, reports out there that David Tepper really likes Will Levis out of Kentucky. And if that's the case, then you might be looking at him. There might be a shot where C.J. Stroud is available and they still decide to go with Will Levis. If they like Will Levis more, if they like him more enough, then maybe that is the thing they decide to do. See, I'm going with Bryce Young. I agree with both of you. Because it seems like the only knock on him is his size. Yes, a little concern, but at the same time, if he does everything better than the other two QBs, then I'm just going to go roll the dice on a smaller quarterback. Bryce Young wins games, man. I know he he does things at an elite level. Absolutely. I know he lost a couple this year, but he still made some pretty impressive plays. Against Tennessee, remember, it was the defense that allowed Hendon Hooker to make only two throws to get them with a shot to have the ugliest field goal of all time. And it took a long time for LSU to be able to win that game. Was it double overtime against Alabama? I know it did go to extras. So Bryce Young... Still an impressive player, even in both of those matchups. Bryce Young would still be my number one quarterback. If you bring up Hendon Hooker or even Anthony Richardson, there's a couple guys that are viewed as projects at quarterback. That's where I think Fiddy's scenario comes into play. If you draft Anthony Richardson, maybe even if you draft Will Levis, (laughs) I can't believe it. But at the end of all of this, we really might have a scenario where Sam Darnold is your starting quarterback. Yeah. It doesn't mean that you don't draft one, but if you draft Anthony, Anthony Richardson, you draft Will Levis viewed as these projects, they're not ready to go at the beginning of the season. Do you just hold on to Sam on a team friendly deal 
and then allow those guys to take over maybe midway through the season. Fiddy, I know that's something that you posed to us before the show. Yeah, I, I, I guess here's the counter to that. And, and, I, and I know I proposed you could sell me on Anthony Richardson. What are you doing with Matt Corral? Because you can't go into next year carrying four quarterbacks on your roster. Three in the modern NFL is given too much when you look at how you value building your 53-man. And so if, if you're still going to stay invested in Corral because of what you've you, you invested in him. You I got mean, you maybe. got Darnold. You probably got to consider having PJ just so you have an experienced backup quarterback on the roster going into next year. I think that's why at you know if, if you're drafting seventh or eighth and those two guys aren't there, Young and Stroud, you got to go BPA because if you draft another project after drafting a, pra- a project the pre this previous year who's now missed all year with on the IR. Then your quarterback room becomes a mess, and the numbers start don't start to make sense. I know they traded up for Matt Corral. He has to have zero, absolute zero effect on what you do this offseason. Matt Corral is fine. Like you just can, wasted a draft pick. It doesn't matter. It doesn't dictate what you do going forward. Like not Matt Corral in the third round, and plus you can have him as your third string quarterback. So let Sam be the starter. Let your first-round pick be the backup, and then let Matt Corral be the third stringer. And as much as I like P.J. Walker, P.J. can go be a backup somewhere else. But if you wanted to keep P.J., then maybe you have Matt Corral on the practice squad. But, man, like the thing about Matt Corral, it's, it's not just you. Lots of people text in saying, hey, what about the Ole Miss product? We still have to keep him in mind. I mean, I guess, but not enough for it to dictate what you do in the draft and how you operate starting these different quarterbacks going forward next season, man. Like, maybe Matt Corral is is fine enough, but the odds are way more slim that he pans out compared to this other quarterback you're going to draft, and it should not dictate what you do with your roster makeup and, you know, trying to shuffle everything. Well, maybe we just don't take a quarterback. Now, nah, he he needs to have zero effect on what you do in this draft. I agree with that 100%. I mean, you can't base there's so much unknown with him coming back from injury, obviously. I think with him, I feel like as a team, you're kind of sort of playing with house money with him because you're going to bring him back, see what he has, what he can bring, if he's going to compete for a backup spot. I think that's the the best case scenario for you if you do draft a rookie is for Matt Corral to prove himself to be a quality backup, and then you roll from there. Uh, but if you do end up going with a Darnold, if you don't want to go with that, but I think there needs to be a plan if there's not a quarterback this year because of the guys that will be sitting at the top of the draft next year, I think you have to have a plan. And that's where things get tricky because if you come into the season with Darnold, especially if you ended on a good note with him, well, then if you come into next season and you win seven or eight games, you know, where does that put you? You know, as far as if you want to get up to the top of the draft to get Caleb Williams or Drake May or, uh, you know, Michael Penix or some of these type of guys. So that's that's a tough spot that Carolina's in right now. And to your point, Fiddy, I don't think it should dictate how they operate, but it goes to show just how much I hated that decision in the first place because Carolina, they picked Corral with the number 94 overall selection. They got that from the Patriots in exchange for the 137th overall pick. That was a fourth rounder, but they also had to give up a 2023 third rounder. Man, there's no reason to do that. I know you wanted Matt Corral but just giving up more picks because maybe Matt Corral has some type of ability. I just, I just don't understand the trading up to go get that guy when it's already a long shot for him to be the franchise QB. People are going to write in. What about Tom Brady? What about Dak Prescott? Okay. Yes. (laughs) 
I, never should there ever be a plan to say, oh, well, we're just going to get the next Pro Bowl level quarterback in the third, fourth round and you watch. Okay. Like you see how successful you can be practicing that blueprint every yeah. time you go into the offseason because I guarantee you're not going to hold on to a job too long. It's Wesson Walker. It's time now to go to Sam Farber, voice of the Charlotte Hornets, coming up next to talk about tonight's game against the Brooklyn Nets. Wesson Walker Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. One twenty on a Wednesday. It's Wesson Walker Sports Radio ninety two seven WFNZ. You can follow us on our Twitter handle at Wesson Walker. Wes, how do you spell it, man? I always forget. W e s a n d w a l k e r. That's how you spell it. You can find us on Twitter again, Wes and Walker. You can also catch Sam Farber, the voice of the Hornets, right here on ninety two seven FM. The voice of the Hornets calling the games. You can hear him tonight against the Brooklyn Nets. He joins us now to talk about that very matchup. Sam, how are you doing, man? Doing great. We're looking forward to uh, hopefully getting back on track here with the W tonight in Brooklyn. Yeah, unfortunately, a couple of losses in the last two games they played. A tough one against the Clippers because Kawhi Leonard hits that go-ahead jumper. Hornets did not have an answer with about a little over a second left in that game as they were trying to inbound the basketball. You know, Sam, they did have the other win, though, um, just a few games back. And I do think that the last three games, they have been starting to shoot it a little bit better. I, I, they shot 36% from three against the Clippers, which is right at average. And they were right there with a shot to win at the end. Is it as simple as that? The fact that the Hornets are making a few more shots here and there, and that's allowing them a chance to win? Well, I think that that's certainly helpful. But in general, the team has been competitive, realistically, this entire stretch. I mean, you can think back to a couple of blowouts and Usually they're against really elite teams like Boston or Memphis for the most part. Uh, every team's going to have a couple outliers over the course of the year. But I think overwhelmingly Charlotte's a very competitive squad, and that speaks to the level of fight and the level of competition that's been instilled in this squad and, and is just in, innate in them. And uh, There was a recent power rankings that came out from the Athletic, and, and naturally you know, the Hornets are not very high up in the standings, so you're not expecting them uh, to get – that great a placement, but I thought one of the references there was, was pretty much on the money that, you know, if you take a look at this team and consider LaMelo Ball's played in three games, Gordon Hayward's played in about 11 games, Terry Rozier missed eight games, um, you know, if this team wasn't competing and the coaching staff wasn't coaching their butts off, who knows where they would be right now. So uh, I think the level of competition is good, and it's just a matter of when will this team finally be healthy and where will they sit in relation to the other teams in the standing? Well, and not that it's good news by any stretch of the imagination that they've had all of these injuries. It has allowed some of these other guys to get opportunities. Bryce McGowan's being the latest example of that, Sam. How about 20 minutes in a win against Washington, 18 against Milwaukee, 17 against the Clippers. I've been impressed with the second round pick, the second round rookie. What have you liked about his game so far? I think that he just so naturally fits in with the rest of the guys on the team. You know, you, you put him in with Terry Rozier, and, and he doesn't miss a beat, neither Bryce nor Terry. So the fact that he's able to function there, particularly when he's coming from being the guy at Nebraska, where he would have the ball in his hands all the time, he's the target of every play, now going to a different kind of role, that's not an easy change to make, and he's made it rather seamlessly. So uh, I, I think he's got all kinds of athleticism and a, a huge talent and he is certainly exceeding 
uh, the, the modest expectations you would normally have at the start of the season for a second-round pick. Sam, Wes Bryant here. What do you make of Coach's comments the other night after the loss to the Clippers about just their physicality and them getting bodies on guys late in that game, boxing people out more, hitting people, as he uh, liked to put it? What do you make of that, and uh, do you feel like that that's something that the Hornets is vital to their success? It certainly is, and you know, no one's questioning the heart of the fight in the team. But it, you know, when you've lost a couple of games, a couple of close ones, and you can look back and say, "Well, they're one rebound away from sealing it, from winning it in all likelihood." You know, that that starts to stick out. And um, you know, when when the team is this shorthanded, you don't necessarily have to be perfect, but you you have to be as mistake free as possible, or it's going to be very difficult to to come away with the victory, particularly when you're going against teams. Like the Clippers, who've got you know an All NBA 75 anniversary team member and Kawhi Leonard and multiple time All Stars, first overall picks. I mean, you know you got to have a lot of stuff go right to get that win. The Hornets had the chance there, but even moving forward, when the Hornets are healthier and they're deeper and they've got their stars on their side, you you can't let a game slip away when you could have had the rebound to put it away. And I think that's the message that the coaching staff and Coach Clifford is trying to deliver. What do you think about PJ and just his consistency where some nights he looks like an all-star caliber player or a uh, top-end front-line NBA player, and then some nights where, you know, he can can disappear, just be so inefficient? Well, I think just like the young guys, like a Bryce McGowan's is getting opportunities to step into the rotation, guys like PJ Washington are getting opportunities to really show what they can do, not just as a starter, but as a top three target on a lot of plays. And, you know, everyone's going to have an off night. The 0 for 13, that was an aberration. I don't expect that to, you know, really happen again at all. Uh, he's too talented a guy. But to your point, you know, there's been games where he's been closer to 8 to 10 rather than the 18 to 20 uh, that the team kind of needs him to be to have a real shot at winning. So uh, just like for Bryce McGowan's, there are good games and bad, and everyone else trying to work their way into that rotation. Uh, the similar is true for players stepping up into that top line area. And it's something that makes it so you don't take for granted what Terry Rozier does on a nightly basis here for the Saints. Sam Farber, voice of the Hornets, joining us on the Body Works Plus guest hotline, Weston Walker, Sports Radio, 92.7 WFNZ. Sam, what what have you made of Kelly Oubre's play here lately as a guy that has kind of had to be a leader with all the injuries? Oh, I, I love it. I love it. I think he's really challenged himself to be much, much more than the elite shooter that he was last year and really focus in on other parts of his game. And not that those were deficient before, but, you know, it, it wasn't so much the role he was asked to play last year. Now with all these injuries, uh, they're begging him to do whatever he can to keep them in games. And he has been right there to answer the call each and every night, five straight games with 20 plus points, oftentimes without having his three point shot really being uh, as efficient as it had been the season prior. Uh, he's doing a lot of little things, too, that help win games as well or keep you competitive uh, when you consider, you know, for him to really have his best games, this is from his mouth, not mine, you know, it's when his rebounding comes first or his assists come first or his defense comes first. He lets his offense kind of just come naturally to him. But he, when he's really dialed in, all those other aspects of the game are what start to, to push to the forefront. So he, he's been fantastic. And this is another case where hopefully the Hornets are the benefactors when they are healthy of having Kelly Oubre 
uh, just tapped in so much more to all the other aspects of his game that make him such a fantastic player. Sam, of course, every game is really important with the hole the Hornets have dug themselves and because of the injuries, too. But this game tonight, with the next five games, they have three at home of the next five. And then it's that West Coast road trip where you have six out there against Denver, Sacramento, L.A., both teams in L.A., and then Portland, Golden State to finish it up. How important are these next five games to try to find a few wins? Well, they're huge, but like you said, every game is important right now. I I think until the team is healthy, it's hard to overstate or or over-magnify the importance of any one particular game because Charlotte is so shorthanded. I mean, we're we're about to see them take on a Brooklyn team that's got uh, one of the best players in the history of the game in Kevin Durant, a multi-time All-Star in Kyrie Irving, shooters all over the board. They're relatively healthy across the board. Um, You know, on paper, Brooklyn should have the upper hand, particularly at home. And yet we know that the Hornets are going to go out there and fight and scratch and claw and get themselves a shot to win. And I believe wholeheartedly they're going to get out on the floor and, and put themselves in that position again. Um, but the reality is still the reality. is As long as they're hurt like this, um, every win that they put on the board is one less that they have to make up later on. And so, you know, I applaud their, their effort and their fight and their determination. I think they're going to have themselves a real good shot to win this game the way they've been playing on both sides of the ball. Um, but until this team is healthy, you know, it, it's hard to say, well, you know, this is the game here that the season hangs in the balance on. Um, I don't know that we'd say that even if they were healthy at this stage of the year. Um, but certainly it makes a difference to be five or four games behind a Brooklyn team that you're chasing than six or seven as they would be if they lost. A big thanks to the voice of the Charlotte Hornets, Sam Farber, for joining us on the Body Works Plus guest hotline. You can hear him on the call as the Hornets take on the Brooklyn Nets tonight at 730 in Brooklyn. Sam, thank you so much, man. We really appreciate it. Appreciate you guys. Talk soon. All right. Again, that game will be airing here. Pre-game coverage on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ as well. Now, we've talked a lot about the injuries here, Wes. I did want to go back to the LaMelo Ball discussion because Mm -hmm. in my conversation with Charlotte Observer Hornets beat writer Rod Boone, we discussed that injury with LaMelo, re-injuring it, stepping on the fan's foot that was sitting courtside, all of us begging, why didn't you move, buddy? Could you have helped us out just a little bit? Where is the reaction time? Didn't help us, and LaMelo, he's out for quite a while right after that. But from Rod Boone, it was my understanding, and it's his understanding as he related to me, that this decision is really up to LaMelo right now, when he comes back. LaMelo's not going to come back until... He feels good to go. He feels as close to 100% as much as possible, if not right at 100%. So with LaMelo not feeling good enough to go right now, what do you make of this kind of being his call at the moment? And how long could we be waiting for LaMelo to return? I feel like he's going to return at some point soon. Uh, whether I think if I had to guesstimate, which is not even close to being something you should pay attention to. Let's do some reckless say, speculation yeah, again. I would probably say next week, no later than the week after. Uh, but like I said, I begged the question earlier in the show, could it be after what we saw from Gordon Hayward's wife? Could LaMelo be saying, hey, you guys brought me back before I was ready, so now I'm going to take all the time I want in the world uh, to come back this go-round. So I think that it's interesting because most fans will expect a guy that – if you put it in a player's hands, well, you're going to always suspect that the player wants to play even if they're not ready. You feel like the player's going to be clamoring to come off the bench and play. So I think that's an interesting situation for LaMelo, too, from the fans' perspective because if that is indeed the case, then people are going to be like, well, you know, why isn't he 
trying. I guess they would want to see him really, really trying hard to play. Some of this is extremely nuanced when guys should come back. Yeah. And then we go back to the Gordon Hayward scenario where his wife goes to social media and is pretty clearly angry at the Hornets for allowing him to go out there on the court when he had a fractured scapula. He had a shoulder that was not ready to go and they were calling it bruised. The communication issue there, it was absolutely a problem. We don't have a whole lot of clarity on a timetable for any of these guys that get injured. Steve Clifford doesn't even know. He'll be asked, and he joked about being stopped in the streets of Charlotte, asked by different fans, when is LaMelo coming back? And Steve keeps telling you, I just don't know. That was the first time he was injured. Eventually he came back, and then the whole stepping on the fan's foot thing happened. The thing about this, people were angry at the Hornets a little bit too. Yeah. And I think that's just kind of the unrest of the fans. But this is where I show the organization a little bit of grace. Because there's incentive for Gordon Hayward to play even a little bit injured because he wants to play through something where if you can salvage some type of trade value and or reputation that you're not always hurt and you want to play through it while maybe you can heal, then I understand why Gordon would want to do that. Yeah. If you're if you're the Charlotte Hornets, you want to protect your best asset at all costs, which is pretty clearly LaMelo Ball. Well, there were a lot of fans clamoring for him to return, and there were more opinions out there than not that kind of held the Hornets in check for that, saying, well, wait, why are you being so careful with him? We need to win right now. Then there were some reckless speculation, accusation about the Hornets maybe tanking a little bit, not putting out their best player because it'd be in their best interest to lose for the woeful for Wimby sweepstakes. Nah, man, some of this is just LaMelo. Like, LaMelo just isn't ready to go. And you know what? The Hornets don't need to rush him back whatsoever. Yeah, if I Lame- agree. If LaMelo doesn't feel good enough to go play right now, then don't play. If you don't feel good enough, then I don't want you to overcompensate for something and then injure something else, which happens in football all the time. That's often when we speak about it, right? Like Stefania Bell, injury analyst for ESPN, that's one thing she always talks about. If you're not healthy enough to go because you have a bum hamstring at the moment, you overcompensate, boom, you put too much weight on your left ankle, now that's her. Now you got two injuries. What good does that do anybody? And the other example, too, is Jeff Rickard brought up Derrick Rose, the fans for Chicago, where Derrick Rose wasn't quite ready to come back. He does play, gets injured, career done. You have that scenario, or you have the Kawhi Leonard Spurs scenario, where trainers, everybody felt Kawhi was good to go, except for Kawhi. Mm-hmm. That was the guy that didn't want to play. They butt heads. Two parties can't agree. Kawhi gets traded for a half-hearted package. It's DeMar DeRozan, all right? We can like DeRozan all we want to. He ain't Kawhi. Kawhi goes to Toronto, wins the Raptors a championship, something DeMar DeRozan had never even dreamed of doing up there in Toronto. So you kind of have to let LaMelo figure this thing out with the opinions of the training staff, with all of your help in the world, and I bet that's what they're doing. I have no reason to believe that's not what they're doing. But it goes to show you the importance of LaMelo coming to the court on his own time because there's a lot to miss out on if you try to force him. Yeah, and I don't think we necessarily need to speculate on if LaMelo really wants to come back because right. just off of everything that we hear, when you when they tell you how much of a gym rat he is, how much he loves to hoop, uh, you know, so you would think that a guy like that is dying to get back on the court and he does want to wait until he's all the way right because I'm sure now at this point he doesn't want to have a replay of what just happened to where he comes back and something small happens and then he's like, 
you know, really hurt and he had to miss more time because that would be frustrating if he comes back again and then plays a couple more games and then has to miss another couple of weeks. I think this time he says, I'm going to come back when I'm 100% ready to where even if I do take a little nick, I can still keep on playing. Well, and this is part where maybe you can blame the Hornets because I go back to the rookie season when he fractured his wrist, comes back for the final 10 games. I didn't expect him to come back. thought he was out for the season. Yeah, and that wrist was still bothering him. And he kept going to it. Yeah. He kept massaging it during timeouts. He was trying to figure out the best way to compensate for the broken wrist. And his shooting numbers were bad. If you look at the last 10 games compared to the first, I don't even know how many games he played before he got hurt, Mm -hmm. but they were very different, and that brought his overall numbers down. And if your overall numbers go down, that messes with your money a little bit. A little bit. Maybe. A guy like him. May, I don't think so. Maybe not LaMelo because he's on the rookie scale right. stuff, but for other free agents, absolutely it does. Gordon's money, Gordon Hayward money, if he comes back and he starts messing with something and you prove that you're injured, you're not really playing well, absolutely that messes with your, uh, some of your money in certain situations. LaMelo maybe not so much. Point yeah, hurt. I was just thinking like when you looked at as an all-star type of guy, franchise player type of guy, it would take a whole heck of a lot for you not to get that max. Fair That's with, all I was saying. Fair with LaMelo. Yeah. But the spirit of the conversation, if you use a sure. general theme, sure. absolutely, it can mess with your salary. All right, let's go to Fiddy's favorites in just a moment. It's been a while since we had Josh Fiddy Marlowe's top five in any category, but let's go to Fiddy Flash first. What you got? Well, guys, we do have some news trickling out of college football and not involving the transfer portal. Louisville has a new head football coach, the chosen son, maybe the, the, the godson of Louisville football, Jeff Brom, is leaving Purdue, a program he just took to the Big Ten championship game where they'd ultimately get blown out by Michigan. But he is heading home to take over the Louisville program. This comes after three days after Scott Satterfield announced his decision to leave Louisville for Cincinnati. Wes, what do you make of this uh, of this move for Jeff Brom coming back home to the ACC in that Louisville program? Well, you love the coming home stories all the time. I still remember when Jeff Brom was coming out of high school and all of the hype that, that he had. And my buddy... Uh, Damn, you're old. <laughs> and then my old <laughs> running back from Wake Forest, uh, Chris Barclay, is on that staff at Purdue. So if he's coming with him, I'm sure he's going to be super excited because he's a product of Louisville Mail, uh, a one-time ACC player of the year, my man Chris Barclay, so I'm sure that'll be pretty cool for them, but I like the move for Louisville. I feel like that's a nice, um, I don't even know if I'd call it a recovery, because from all the things you heard from a character standpoint about Satterfield and what some of the players felt, I feel like this is a nice move for Louisville all the way around. You get a homegrown guy coming back that really cares about the program, and you know that he won't leave uh, this place because it's home. Yeah, Brom, excellent at Western Kentucky. His three years there, three straight bowl wins, double-digit win seasons, his last two with Western Kentucky. Got a little dicey with Purdue in the middle, but then bounced back nicely, 9-4 and four season, 8-5 and five this year, right after the pandemic. So Brom did a good job of kind of navigating through some of the diciness and then getting back to a Music City Bowl last year and then, of course, being bowl eligible once again this year. Time for Fitty Favorites coming up next. Weston Walker. Sports Radio 92.7 FM. It's time 
to explore Fitty's favorites once again. Wesson Walker Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Did we do chicken sandwiches last time? It's been a yes, while. Yes, we did. And by the way, that reminds me. You still didn't get it. I did. He said he forgot. It. I did. I did forget. Because I had I had to go talk with Jeff after the show, and we were taking care of a couple things. And then I left, and I just started to get on the highway to go home. Mm. And then I forgot to go get the chicken sandwich, and I wasn't going to go turn back for it. I feel you. So There's I no forgot. Popeyes near you? No, there's not, actually. Where are you the way that you are? I'm mad at myself, Where too. Where are you at? Where are you? Park Road. Okay. I don't think there's, there's not really any Popeyes that I can think of close to that way. Yeah. You know, so I, that's why I, I'm over there. Didn't want to make that trip. Fitty, Fitty did ask, hey, how was the black and chicken Are you going to do it today? I want to, as long as I can remember. <laughs> What's going to stand in your way? You're a grown-ass man. My memory. And that's right around the corner. That's the only thing. Right. I know. But I just need to remember. I think it'll be good, though. How about this? If you don't go today and we don't get a review in our show group chat, Mm -hmm. we get to throw you through a table. (laughs) You always say we like you're going to help. It's going to be like when everybody else is helping move furniture (laughs) from the truck into the apartment. And then you're just kind of right. Yeah, no, that looks good. You're you're like 10. Yes. Pivot. Pivot. Yeah, I'll, I'll be there giving Wes the direction and throw you at the most perfect angle to where you snap your neck and I get to host the show moving forward. Got pretty dark. <laughs> yeah, I did. Right. Don't know why we so had So you better go that. get that damn sandwich. Time now for a scary <laughs> Fitty's favorites. <laughs> We're doing the top five sporting events that he wishes he could have attended. Let's start with number five, Fitty. Yeah, number five. I thought about, and this came in on the Garage uh, Door Guru text line, some of Tiger's performances in the Masters. I would have probably went when he won it back in 2019 had I chosen one. But I couldn't have a list that did not include the GOAT. And so I had Game 6 of the 1998 NBA Finals. Higher on my list, I have one as well that I'm trying to work through. I have three right now, but I that's higher on my list. Has to be one that you think of, right? Like the flu game plus yeah. game six of the 98 finals. Those are the two Michael Jordan moments Shrug. in the pros that I would go with. Yeah, the only reason why I wouldn't have been jealous about not missing this and having to watch this game on television. If you go back and you watch Bob Costas right. signing off of the NBC broadcast. That's right. It's the best two minutes in broadcasting history. If you ask Bob Costas, what is the most proud call you've ever had in your career? He goes to that one. He says, look, as a broadcaster, you never think you got it perfect, but that's as close to uh, perfect I got. So Bob Costas, also a fan of his own call, maybe a little ego driven, but he's right. It's beautiful. Good point. Number four, I have Super Bowl 51. And this, is it a little bit of a dig at the Atlanta Falcons for blowing a 28-3 to <laughs> lead? Absolutely. It's more about watching Tom Brady, so you know, cement himself as the GOAT, as the greatest quarterback of the, in, the, in, the, in the history of the NFL. You could arguably call him the greatest winner of team professional sports. And that comeback, because even down 28-3, to I don't know about you guys where y'all were watching the Super Bowl at. I was with my dad, and he said it was done. Game over, cooked. And I was like, nah, he's got something. I also had a $20 bet riding on the game, so I was pulling for the comeback. And then when it all happened, that's the best quarter and a half of quarterback play I think I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, I'm trying to think of the Super Bowl that I would put. I I don't know if there's going to be a Super Bowl that makes my list after this. That one's a good one, though, because the comeback is absolutely nuts. 
Not on my list, though, but still solid, still solid sporting event to put here. All right, number three for you. What you got? Number three, I cheated a little bit because there were multiple. I put all of the Cowboys 90s Super Bowls. Um, <laughs> you did cheat a lot. Because, of course, those were the last time the Dallas Cowboys did host the Lombardi Trophy. And I, I can only imagine being there live watching those teams dominate the Buffalo Bills the way that they did in two of them. And then beating Pittsburgh in the other. And what, and what wasn't a sexy game, but because it was at the Rose Bowl, it, it felt like a big time mm-hmm. Super Bowl. The thing I get mad about when I talk about these teams is that if Jerry Jones wasn't a dumbass, how many <laughs> do they win that decade? They Because that team was built. They were stocked. And then Jerry got in the way. You hired some numbskull and Barry Switzer who took them to a championship, but it deserves no credit for it. If Jimmy doesn't leave, they're the Patriots of the 90s. But in the same decade, they win six Super Bowls in a decade. Feel free to text in the sporting events you would most like to have attended that ever existed. You don't have to have been alive for it. The Garage Door Guru text line 704-570-9610. All right, game six in the 98 final, Super Bowl 51 between the Patriots and the Falcons. And really all of the 90 Super Bowls that the Dallas Cowboys yeah. won. Those are the bottom three. Let's go to number two now on your list, Biddy. Number two, I didn't even hesitate. It's game six of the 1986. World Series where a liner or or a little dribbler up first base gets through Bill Buckner's legs. It allows the Mets to go on and win game six, force the all-important game seven where they would win the World Series over the then-cursed Boston Red Sox. I can only imagine how I would react at watching that moment because halfway through you think the game is over, your season's over, and then he misses the ball and you go on to win where then Destiny just kind of takes over. It also, of course, was the last time the Mets won a World Series. Wes, is there any way in hell that you have a baseball game in your top five sporting events you wish you would have attended? Uh, there is no way in hell. Yeah, wow. But you, but you watch figure skaters on ice. There you go. Figure skaters. That's what we should take them out there and let them go out there with those guys and let them put them against the glass a couple of times. If yeah, I wore all that padding, that. too, I wouldn't be scared to go out there and skate around and prance. That's perfect. Right. All right. All right. You can throw me through a table and then we can put Fiddy up there on the yeah, ice. Yeah, absolutely. Take a beating. All right, what's number one on your list, Fiddy? If you had to guess, Wes, what my number one is, what don't look at the sheet. Well, I'd already seen it. Oh. I didn't know if you'd already seen the sheet Wait, or not. We, we run into this problem all the time. Yeah, you y'all don't, are cheaters. You don't have to put yeah, you it need on to the hide sheet. It. You can put it on something else so we don't have the opportunity to cheat. Let me see. It's something with Carolina basketball. Yeah, there you go, Wes. <laughs> it has to be 1982. Dean Smith finally gets the monkey off his back, gets over the hump. Some kid at the time named Mike Jordan made a jumper out, out left on the wing to give Carolina the lead. They'd go on and beat Georgetown and get the first national title for D. Smith. As important as Frank McGuire is to the lineage and the history and tradition that is Carolina basketball, D. Smith had built it to a, even to a higher level than Frank McGuire got while winning a national championship. That sealed it, and, and that really solidified that UNC has the best program in college basketball. James Worthy having the basketball passed to him at the top of the key in order to seal it afterwards. Yeah, the 82 championship, if I were to go down my list real quickly, just at the top of the dome, not too much thought into it. It would be either the 82 championship or the 05 championship, just because that was right at the height of my love for college basketball, watching 
that Sean May team, they beat Illinois. Illinois had somewhat of a comeback there, but in the end, North Carolina able to hold on. So I'm going game six, MJ shot number two on my list. The 05 Natty, the Rose Bowl between Texas and USC. Vince Young with the game-winning touchdown. That's third on my list. I'm going to go to one that you guys would absolutely not have liked to attend. Game 6, 2013, Ray Allen hitting the shot that allowed the Miami Heat to win their second NBA title. That would have been a crazy game to go to. As a Hornets fan, how do you have anything Heat-related on your list? Because, dude, the Hornets don't have a real rival right now. There isn't, like, the Heat don't even... Colin Hogger to smoke about the heat. Yeah, that's fine. That uh, the heat. Yes, we don't like the heat. At the same time, the heat view do or not. It's like NC State, Duke, North Carolina. Like the heat view the Knicks as their rival and some other teams. Like I just, I don't know. I don't view them nearly as that much. But still, Ray Allen's shot would have been an awesome moment to see. Even LeBron's ass. Chicago Cubs game seven would have been awesome to go to Wrigley Field and see that as well. Mm. So that was that was another awesome one. Then I run mine when we come back. Or what? Yeah, we can do that. All right, let's run yours. Away. You can do it. Yeah, that's fine. We got <laughs> Wes's top five coming up next. Wes and Walker, Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time.